Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you here this afternoon. I know there's so much going on today with Group Sunday and all the groups going out there. I hope you'll take a few minutes to look and see what the groups are. You should have a, those little handouts on your chairs that have all the listing as well. Um, just know the, one, what your, the printout are the ones that are closest to you, but we have groups all the way through one chapel, all the way down into um, San um, Marcos and Kyle and Buda and all the way up to Round, Round Rock and uh, all throughout the Austin area. And so wherever you are, um, you can look at different groups that are being available for this semester. And so let me just encourage you, jump into something. Don't try to spend this, this winter and spring just kind of doing it by yourself, but do it with other people. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. Um, we've been doing a series around here that we've been calling Better, and what we've been looking at is just this, this whole idea, as the new year comes, uh, I think so many of us, we tend to evaluate our life and what went right, what went wrong, and how our lives this next year can be better than last year. And we've been looking at this question of really beginning to kind of ask, you know, what if the power to make your life better isn't really found in these New Year's resolutions or establishing of new habits and stuff, but maybe the power really comes from the new life of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about, and that's the question we've been going through as we're looking at the series, because Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away, for if I may not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And if I go on, I will send him unto you. And so Jesus said that life would be better for his disciples if he went away and sent the Holy Spirit to them. And, and so the question that we've been really kind of wrestling with as we start this series is, what does this promise a better mean for us today? What is this about for us today? Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, I don't know how you hear this verse, but this verse is one of the most shocking verses in all of Scripture, probably one of the most shocking things you'll ever hear in any pages of history because Jesus says greater things. Think about this. Jesus talks about here that anyone who has faith in him will actually do greater things than he did. Think about that. I mean, greater things than Jesus did, the greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth. Um, think of all the miracles that he did, all the healing, all the deliverance, the raising from the dead, the healing, the blind eyes and the lame. I mean, over and over and over, we see what Jesus did on earth, but yet Jesus said that we will do even greater things than he did. Let me ask you a question. How are you living your life? Come on, everybody. How are you living your life? Because I think most of us aren't in danger of ruining our lives. I think most of us are in danger of wasting our lives. I think most of us are in danger of living our lives less than our potential. And I think every one of us have areas in our lives where we've just settled where some way, somehow, we've just decided that good enough, well, it's good enough. And we just kind of settle in there. But I want you to hear me here this afternoon because God hasn't called you as a follower of Jesus to just merely survive this world. 
If you've given your life to him, if you're a follower of Jesus, God hasn't called you to just plod along in your daily routine, just kind of going through the motions of it until your body gets out and you die. That's not what God has for you. God has so much more than just existing. There's so much more that God has in store for you. As a matter of fact, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life that really is the distinction between you and the rest of the world. Because if there's not the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, then what we're doing here on a Sunday is nothing more than a club, like a rotary club or a, or a lion's club, where you gather together and we sing some songs and we talk about moral things and maybe some religious things and we talk about philosophy and, and maybe different self-help type things that will make your life better. But listen, everybody, that's not what Christianity is. If that's what you thought Christianity is, let me just correct that for you because that's not at all what Christianity is. Christianity is not a philosophical religion. Christianity is not a self-help religion. Christianity is not a moral religion. Christianity is all about power, the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That word helper, in the original Greek language that this was written in, is the word parakletos, which means comforter, intercessor, advocate, one who comes alongside of us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you as your advocate so that you can live your life beyond what you could do in your own strength and your own ability. One of the things that I wrestle with as, as a pastor is that I get brought into the joys of people's lives, and I also get brought into the most difficult and hard places in people's lives. This is the craziest thing. I don't ever know what normal is. I don't ever get brought into people's normal lives. I get the highs and the lows. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. But here's the, here's, my, here's the problem in all of this, because when you're around, in people's lives, by the way, there's just so much difficulty and hardship and heart-wrenching situations that people go through. Everything from losing a job to experiencing a death, of an unexpected death of, of a loved one, to being sexually abused, to being addicted to alcohol or drugs or other types of vices from going through a horrific, difficult divorce to being kicked out of your house at the age of 16. The list just goes on and on and on, the heart-wrenching things that people go through. And all of this is because there is an enemy to your soul, Satan, the devil, whose whole intent is to destroy people's lives. And he is actively working in your life, my life, in the world today to destroy people's lives. And so when you're confronted with these heart-wrenching situations that either you're going through or somebody else is going through, what are we supposed to do? Because <laughs> I don't know how it is with you because um, when I come into those situations, I don't always know what to do. I mean, I don't always know how to pray. And in those critical situations, I quickly come to the end of myself. I've experienced a lot, I've been trained a lot, but I quickly come to the end of my own abilities and I feel so deeply inadequate. And I realize in those moments, something more is needed. Something more is needed. The question is, what is that something more? I mean, do we need, do we need more church services? Is that what we need? Do, do we need 
more praise and worship music in our life? I mean, is that what we need? Do, do we need a better translation of the Bible? I mean, will that solve things? I mean, do we need more sermons preached to us? Do we need better preachers preaching those sermons to us? Do we need more training and counseling? What is it that we need when we're encountering those horrific, heart-wrenching, difficult situations in our life? And let me propose to you that I think the reality of what every one of us need the most is the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That that's what we need the most, more than anything else in our lives. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so you'll see this all over through Scripture, that without the Holy Spirit's power working in your life, you'll never have enough of what you need to become the person that, you're, that God wants you to be. Without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, you'll never have what you need in order to become that person that God has called you to be. I want you to think about it this way. Because how many of you like going to downtown Austin? Any of you there, or do you avoid it as the plague? I'm new to Texas, and I'm new to this part. I've lived here now three and a half, coming on four years. And as an outsider, by the way, I absolutely love it. I love this part of Texas. I can't say that about the rest of Texas, but I love this part of Texas. I love all things Austin. I love the hill country. The hill country is the diamond of Texas, and I just love all of this. And I love our downtown. It's, I, to me, it has to be one of the best downtowns in all of America. And I, I just love all, all the hustle and the bustle and everything that's happening down there. And I especially love going down there at nighttime. I love the lights of downtown and the beauty of what downtown is. And we had some, some people fly in this weekend from Wisconsin. It's a young couple that's getting married. And, and I, they flew in for me to do their premarital counseling. So they were with us all weekend. And so... It's what we do. People come in, we take them downtown. We take them to all things Austin. We want to make sure we take them downtown. And, and it just reminded me when I was downtown again, just all the things that are happening down there. When you stop and think of the industry, all the inventions, the technology that's happening in our city right there, it's amazing. And not only does it affect what happens here in our Austin area in Texas, but it literally affects the entire world. But I want you to think about this, because if the power grid went off in Austin, all of that would stop. All the activities in the buildings would stop, and creativity would stop, the ideas would stop, all those things would cease if the power went out. In other words, without power, all of that potential is wasted. Stopping for you to think. Without power, all of that potential is wasted. Listen, everybody, it's the same for you and me. We need spiritual power in order to accomplish what we're called to accomplish. The power to overcome sin. The power to overcome spiritual enemies that attack us. The power to endure hardship and suffering. The power to witness. The power to speak. The power to pray. The power to release change and healing. The power to see city and regional transformation. This is all about spiritual power. And so that's why I think our greatest need today is for more spiritual power. Whatever you are facing, let me suggest to you, 
your number one need is for more spiritual power working in and through your life. And when you think about that, it's interesting to know that Jesus' final words before his ascension into heaven was all about spiritual power. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? Until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now try to put your, yourself in the shoes of the, those first disciples there and what was going on. Because these, these people, they had been with Jesus all those years. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the resurrections. They had seen Jesus walk on the water. They had seen all the healings and the supernatural and the spectacular. They had seen all of that. They were also witnesses to the accusations and eventually the crucifixion of Jesus, which then completely messed them up, caused them to flee and run and hide. But then they were there for his resurrection. They, they were there to witness his resurrection. And so think about what had to be going on inside of them. Because for the first time, after Jesus rose from the dead, they got it. They understood all that what Jesus was trying to tell them from the beginning. All of a sudden, it makes sense. They understood what this crucifixion was all about, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and the shedding of his blood for the remission. Of, they got it. And they saw the nail scars in his hands. They were witnesses to that. And they, they saw him ascend into heaven everybody, that's going to mess you up and change your life. You know what I'm saying? And so their excitement had been on high in terms of, boy, we got to do something about this. There's something great. People need to understand what's going on. Look at what God has done. And so imagine this excitement and this energy. we got to do this. we got to share this gospel. we got to take this power to the ends of the earth. And so they must have thought, even though Jesus said stay, they must have thought, well, we got to get going. We can't waste time here. What do we do is just sitting here in the upper room. And when you think about it, you would you'd think Jesus would have thought the same thing. Because these disciples, they, they finally, after all these years, they finally got it. He'd been teaching them over and over and over, and they just couldn't get through their sick, thick skulls. But then all of a sudden, they got it. They understood. And so you would have thought that Jesus said, okay, now get going. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Get out of here. Start sharing this with everybody you're, 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 you, you come in contact and then go to the ends of the world with this, you would have thought that Jesus would have done that, but that, that Jesus did the exact opposite of what they were inclined to do because Jesus asked them to wait. He asked them just to wait. And so the disciples did exactly what Jesus did, and they waited in that upper room and began to pray and to worship. And then this happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, the Holy Spirit, for the very first time, was being poured out on them just as Jesus had promised. This was the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had prophesied 800 years before. Joel prophesied this, he said in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out 
my spirit in those days. In other words, all of a sudden there was this new ability that now was available. Acts 1 verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It was this power, this awesome power from, the, from heaven that was needed for these disciples to move forward in expanding the kingdom of God. And so again, think about this. Because were these disciples who were waiting in Jerusalem, were they sincere believers in Jesus at this moment? Yes, absolutely. Did they have correct doctrine? Yeah, finally they did. <laughs> they finally had the correct doctrine. Could they have gone on out and preached the message without the Holy Spirit? Sure. And they probably wanted to. But Jesus knew they weren't ready. Jesus knew that just because they had a sincere heart, that wasn't enough. Jesus knew that even though they had right information, that wasn't enough. Jesus knew the power of the enemy that they would face. And Jesus knew the discouragement and the opposition that they would encounter. And so that's why Jesus said, wait. Wait for this power to come on you. And so think about that. Because if the Holy Spirit's power was needed back then on those followers of Jesus, has anything changed for us today? I mean, are we any better than these over 2,000 years ago? See, when you think about it, those first disciples of Jesus were pretty, a pretty ragged bunch of guys. We all know about Peter. Peter's one who denied Jesus three times, and he tends to get the, the bad rap of all the disciples. But the reality, all of them fled. All of them went into hiding, and none of them were the, the elite class group of the, of, of the time. None of them were highly educated. None of them had, were born charismatic leaders and, and the influencers of their day. None of them were that, like that. They were, they were fishermen and one despised tax collector. That's who Jesus chose. None of them were seminarily educated. As a matter of fact, Jesus specifically chose people that weren't trained um, highly in, in, in theology. And so when you think about that, why in the world would Jesus choose this motley group of men to be the ones that he put his trust in to carry this message to change the world? Why would he give that to these people? Why would he entrust the most important thing to these, this motley group of men? Well, I think one of the major reasons that Jesus picked them specifically is because these men lacked these obvious natural gifts and talents that you would think, if you're choosing a team, if you're choosing people who are going to carry this message on, if you're choosing people that are going to change the world, you wouldn't have picked these men. But Jesus specifically picked them because he knew they had nothing else to rely on except for the power of the Holy Spirit. They had nothing else that they can turn back to. They didn't have all that what you and I have. And so there was nothing else that they could rely upon. The Apostle Paul, he describes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I, I wonder how many of us live our lives this way. And this doesn't get you off the hook if you're, if you're not employed in, in church ministry. This is 
Think about how we go in our own strength in our workplaces, in your classrooms, in your businesses. Think of how we tend to be dependent and we rely upon your gifts, your education, your talent, your personality. We put so much on that. But Paul says, I've discovered something different. There's something more than just my personality. There's just some, there's something more than my personality and my giftings and my training. There's something more that's much more important. And he said, I want to make sure you understand that, that you don't get distracted from here. And when you look at Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does it describe that this help and power is no longer available for you. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that this help and this power were just for those original apostles, but you're, you, you're, you're on your own. you got to do it in your own strength now. you got to do it with your own knowledge. you got to do it with your own information. you got to do it with your own personality and your own talent. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And so the question becomes, and I think it's a pretty important question, so then why does it seem like we don't see much of that type of power manifesting in our lives or in our generation? I think it's an honest question. Why don't we see that type of power working in our lives, in our generation, what we see in, in Scripture? Well, I think one of the major reasons is because if you don't believe in that sort of supernatural power that comes from the Holy Spirit, then chances are you're not going to experience it. In other words, if I don't believe that God still heals, then I'm not going to go to him when I'm sick. If I don't believe that God still does miracles, I'm not going to go to him when I'm in need with different situations or other people's situations. And so as a result, that I'm not going to experience it for myself. Jesus said a principle um, that's really important for us to understand, this principle that according to your faith, a lot of things are going to happen. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, it says, and he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done? According to your faith, will it be done? Unfortunately, I think for so many of us, our traditions and our denominational um, positions and our own limited personal experiences, I think a lot of those things tend to rob us of actually expecting that the Holy Spirit could actually do something powerful in our lives. And so we don't expect it. We don't look for it. We don't reach out for something more. We just tend to depend on our own natural resources and abilities and the help of other people around us. And so when we're not expecting it, we're not putting our faith there. And as a result, then we don't experience it. If you like to read, there's a great book called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. It's written by a guy by the name of Jack Deere. And he was a theology professor in, up in Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary. And it's a great book describing his journey and his wrestling with this. Because for him, he grew up being taught that God no longer heals. He grew up being taught that God no longer does supernatural miracles and, and things like that in our lives. All those types of things ceased with the Holy Spirit. And he'd never experienced it for himself. And so he didn't, it wasn't really a thing for him. He didn't really think there was something wrong with that. Um, and so he just embraced that and taught it to his church. He taught it to his students in Dallas Theological Seminary. And he writes this about this. I want you to listen to this. He writes, My main passion was teaching and preaching the Word of God. I believe the most important thing in life was to study God's Word and that most of our needs, or at least our most important needs, 
could be met through studying the scriptures. If they could not be met in that way, then we were in trouble, for I had embraced a theological system that didn't leave God much room to help us in other ways. The God I believed in and taught about wasn't as involved in our lives as he had been in the lives of New Testament believers. At the time, that didn't bother me very much because I thought he wanted it that way. I thought he had made the changes. To be sure, I thought God answered prayers, but only certain kinds of prayers. For example, I knew that God no longer gave the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. There was no need for them. We had the completed Bible now. Of course, God sometimes did miracles. After all, he is God, and he can do anything he wants. It is just that he didn't do them very often. In fact, he did them so rarely that in all my years as a Christian, I could never point to one healing miracle that I was confident was the result of God's power. I had never even heard of such a miracle, nor could I point to one in history that was properly documented after the death of the apostles. The one exception was conversions, which I believe then and still believe today are the greatest of all miracles. Other than conversions, the closest thing in my experience to a miracle were answers to prayers especially for, the, for financial needs, which sometimes seem so specific to be left to mere coincidence. This absence of New Testament miracles in my experience didn't bother me, however, because I thought God was the one who initiated this change. I was confident that I could prove by Scripture, by theology, and by the witness of the church history that God had withdrawn the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was also confident that he no longer spoke to us except through the wit written word. Dreams, visions, inner impressions, and the like reeked of subjectivity and an ambiguity that nauseated me. I cringed when one of my students came up to me and said God spoke to me and dot, dot, dot. Hardly anything could provoke a stern rebuke from me as rapidly as the statement God spoke to me. To me, those words implied that whatever communication was about to follow had the same authority as the written word of God. That was not only presumptuous, it seemed blasphemous. I loved to heap ridicule on people who said God spoke to them. As you might guess from what I have said so far, I was not the kind of believer who was looking for something more. I didn't need any healing miracles from God. My family and I had always enjoyed good health, and on those rare occasions when we needed a few stitches or a little medicine, our family doctors were more than adequate. Our congregation was, was also young and strong, and we had very few deaths in the seven years of our history. Divine healing just wasn't high on any of our priority lists. And so he goes on through this book and begins to describe his journey with this, because then all of a sudden what begins to happen in this season of his life, he starts rubbing shoulders with people who experienced miracles, people who experienced healing, and it began to shake his theology, what he had thought was true. And then he was began to wrestle with this, it's a really fantastic, if you want to dig into what all this is about, it's a fantastic book to read it. And he makes this statement. He says, the real reason Christians do not believe in the miraculous gifts is simply because they have not seen miracles in their present experience. Yet no one openly admits that this is the cause of their unbelief. And I just have found that to be so true, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why I just think it's so important as a Christian for you to go on mission trips all over the world to see what God's doing all over the world. Because God is so much bigger than what you're experiencing in your, your Texas living situation. He's doing stuff all over the world. That's, it's spectacular. It's amazing. Those of you who are parenting, those of you who have parents, those of you who have parent, you, you have kids that are still in your home, send them on mission trips. Get them out of American culture. Let them see the greatness of God working in India and China and Indonesia and Mexico. And let them be witnesses to what God is doing beyond just our, our little world here. And here's the thing, because 
So often it is our limited personal experiences and maybe what somebody's told you that causes you not to believe. And so that's why it's so imperative for us to embrace what God actually says, that we embrace his word higher than our personal limited experiences, that we embrace his word higher than our denominational positions and our traditions. And we, because when we do that, then what Paul describes in Romans chapter 10, verse 7, begins to happen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the more you let go of your traditions, the more you let go of your denominational positions, the more you let go of even your own limited personal experiences, and the more you embrace God's word, then what happens is faith begins to rise up inside of you. You begin to look for God to do things, and then all of a sudden, you're starting to encounter more and more of the Holy Spirit's power working in and through your life. And then beyond this kind of lack of faith, I think another reason why the Holy Spirit's power is a bit withheld or limited in our lives, I think another reason is because we lose sight of what the Holy Spirit's power is actually for. I think we get it all mixed up. We lose sight of what it's actually for. Look at this in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now I want you to notice why the power of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. Verse 18 describes it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he's anointed me to do five things. Number one, to bring good news to the poor, those who have very little earthly hope, to bring them that good news. Number two, to free the prisoners, those who've been bound by sin and Satan's work in their lives, to bring, to free those prisoners. Number three, to recover the sight of the blind, those who have been blinded spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, to actually be a part of recovering of, the, of their blindness. And number four, to release the oppressed. Those who are spiritually oppressed, mentally oppressed, emotionally oppressed, and physically oppressed, that you are to go and release the oppressed. And then number five, to deliver this message of salvation, this message that God wants everyone in this world, every tongue and every tribe, every, every person in this world to know and to hear and to experience. Listen, everybody, that's why the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in so amazingly ways. And that's why Jesus told that the Holy Spirit needed to come upon the, those disciples in power who were waiting for him there in that upper room. Acts 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. See, the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't given so that we as Christians could come together on a Sunday like this and just have some exciting, tingling moments in time where we feel a little buzz from the Holy Spirit. That's not what the power of the Holy Spirit was given to do. The power of the Holy Spirit was given so that you and I, that we can go out and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ to go do exactly what Jesus did, that we now do that for our generation. And so when we lose sight of the heart of God and his love for the world, which includes your family, which includes your neighborhood, which includes your city, which includes your workplace and your school place, when we lose sight of God's love for them, then we'll experience very little of the power of the Holy Spirit because we're just on the, 
the opposite page of what, what God is actually doing. We're not, we're, we're not doing what he's called us to do. And unfortunately, too many of us, I think we're just in that boat where we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives because we're seldom doing what Jesus has commissioned us to do. We're just doing church. And we like doing church. Come on, everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? We can get so comfortable, we can settle and end up being just okay. But whenever you reach out with the purpose of sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, whenever you're determined to help those spiritually and physically and mentally and emotionally blind to see, whenever you work to set the physically and mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually oppressed free, whenever we do that, then you can expect to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through your life on their behalf. Because that's what you're commissioned to do. This is one of the reasons why I absolutely love this ministry that, that Logan talked about, this healing on the streets ministry that we do. We launched it a couple of months ago downtown. Look, look at this, this picture. This is just one of the things that we do. We, we're on that walking, the pedestrian bridge in downtown Austin. And we just set up chairs with a banner with healing. And we just ask people as they're walking by, do you need prayer for healing in your life? Anything hurt, anything you're dealing with, we just want to pray. We believe God still heals today. Can we pray with you? It's as simple as that, and we just pray for the power of God and God's healing to come to people's lives. And it's been extraordinary, extraordinary already at what God has done. Let me just read you one testimony here. This one was, we prayed for a man four weeks ago about a serious intestinal disorder, Crohn's disease. I knew this gentleman from seven years ago, and his condition was serious back then. Today, he came to tell us that he had been feeling better, so he went to his doctor last week and had an MRI done. The MRI showed no indication of Crohn's disease symptoms. Come on. Listen, everybody. You, you see the simplicity of that? We simply were doing what Jesus told us to do. Go to the streets, the highways, and the byways. When you look through Scripture, one of the amazing things is Jesus didn't do very much in the church. His miracles and his healings were all outside the four walls of the synagogue because the synagogue was filled with people of no faith. But what people who really needed God were outside of the church. And Jesus said, go there. And when we do that, now you're on the same page as God, and now you can expect the power of God. Listen, all they did, all we did is pray for this man who is dealing with Crohn's disease. And if any of you have ever experienced that, or found him, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a debilitating thing. He was healed, everybody. And he went to the doctor to see if it was true, and it was true. They could find no signs on his MRI. This is the God that we're talking about. This is the God that we're singing about. And just as those early disciples were not perfect, just as they were flawed, we're no different, everybody. I know you might think you're somebody. I know culture may tell you you're somebody, and you have all of this. You have all this money, you have all this influence, you have all these talents, you have all these gifts and all these abilities. Listen, everybody, you're still flawed, you're still imperfect. And God loves to work through ordinary people to do the supernatural. This is who he is. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to do it in your life, in my life. And all we need to do is ask. That's it. There's no secret to this, everybody. You don't have to jump up and down a hundred times and go through a bunch of hoops. All you have to do is ask. That's what Jesus said 
Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's all we have to do is ask, everybody. And so let me ask you a question. Do you want something more? <laughs> are you willing? Are, are you wanting this better that Jesus was talking about? Do you want to start stepping into these greater things that he said that you would do? Not some pastor or somebody in full time. You, you. Don't look to your neighbor, look to you. You, Jesus said, will do greater things than even he did. That's amazing, everybody. That's amazing of what he does. God wants to use you to make a difference in your world. Are you willing? So I don't just close your eyes, because I don't want you to think about anybody else. I want you just to think about maybe what God's stirring in your own heart here. And like I mentioned earlier, I think most of us are in danger of ruining our lives. Most of us are in danger of wasting our lives. Most of us are in danger of living our lives with less than our potential. And I believe for every one of us, there's areas in our life where we've just settled, where we've just decided that good enough is just good enough. But I really think it's important for you right now in this moment to know that God hasn't called you as a believer in Jesus Christ to merely survive this world. He hasn't called you just to plod along in your daily routine, waiting for the day until you die. That's not what God has called you to. There's so much to, more to your existence and your purpose than that. And so the question just simply is, do you want more? Do you want more? Do you want to step in it to that more? Father, I pray for every single one of us here in this room right now. Father, that you would begin to stir in every one of us a holy discontentment. A holy discontentment of the status quo that we've landed in. That God, you begin to stir in us the reality of you coming into our life and how that changes everything and causes us to live our lives beyond what we could ever think or imagine beyond our own gifts and personality and talents, that we could step into these greater things that Jesus said that we could do. Father, I pray that you just, you'd stir that in every one of our hearts and that faith would begin to rise inside of us. And Lord, if any way that we've just kind of held on to this thinking that it's not for me, it's, maybe it's for somebody else, that God, you would begin to stir that out of us. Any way that We've just kind of belittled you and made you less than who you are. That God, you begin to shake that out of us. And that faith would begin to rise again. With expectancy, knowing that you are able, you're the same yesterday and today and forever. And what we read about in scripture, you are that same God who's still working today. And that you want to work in and through every single one of us here. And so, Father, would you just stir that in us? Would you cause hunger to stir in us? Cause us to look for and want more of you in our lives? We're going to do things differently here as we're finishing up. And usually at this time we do communion together. But I, I felt like as I was praying for you and praying for the service and 
just working on it, this message this week, I felt like that there was something that God would stir in your heart. That through whatever is causing you to settle, that he would begin to stir in your heart. That there would start being this hunger for something more. That there would be this innocence, this childlike innocence of just saying, God, I just want all that you have. And so I want to, I want to, us to do an action, you know, with that. Because I felt like there were some things that God wanted to point and stir and release in you. That he wanted to release more. More of his presence in your life. More of his power in, in, in your life here today. And so I've asked the ministry team just to be a part of this. And if I can ask the ministry team just to come forward here and stand. And I've asked them just to line up here in front. And uh, we're going to do something a little different, and these people aren't here to, to grab a hold of you and, and pray these long prayers for you, but they're here to release something and to release just more of the Holy Spirit in you. And, and so as the worship team is going to kind of lead us that way, if you're feeling, if you're feeling like there's just something more, that you want there's something more to be released in you, then I'm going to ask you just to kind of line up on that side of the sanctuary, and you're just simply going to walk by. You're not going to stop at any person, and all they're going to do is, as you walk by, they're just going to touch you and just speak that release, just speaking more of the Holy Spirit, more of the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're just going to walk by, and they're just going to touch you, and every one of them are just going to do that. So just, you'll just walk through this line, and they're just going to release. And your position is just, okay, God, I want to receive. I want to receive. And so if you would, stand up on your feet, if you would, please. And if you're hungry for that, just go to this side over here, and let's just kind of worship God. Let's do this here together. I want to just coach you just a little bit because, you know, I always think when, when we ask God for more and for the Holy Spirit, it's like, it's like sticking your finger in a light socket. If every one of us do that, we're all going to react just a little bit differently. I've said this before that when I, when I feel the Holy Spirit, it does that. <laughs> Good grief. I'm just talking about it. But when I feel the Holy Spirit come in a different way in a room or when he's doing something, it just it kind of arrests my emotions. It's, and if you know me, I'm not a very emotional person, which is so funny. Um, um, but every one of us are, are, are different that way. You know, you, you put your hand in, in that socket and there's a reaction. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. It doesn't matter what you feel because something was just imparted to you. So there's something when you ask, something, God just did something. And so I want to tell you something, then that means go. Go this week and look for God to use you in miraculous ways. Pray for people in your workplace, as you're shopping at HEB, when you're in your classrooms, because that's where his power happens. Remember, it's not this. I love when God does something here. I, I really do. But don't get me wrong. But 
it's there. You going out from this point, there is, you're getting on the same page as God, and God wants to do the miraculous through you. And I want to just encourage you with that. Look for it. Step out in it. Just be bold. Just be brave. Just pray for somebody. You don't have to have to all the right words or know what to do. Just, just pray for people. Does that make sense, everybody? The ministry team will stick up here. They're, they're going to remain here because if there's specific things you're going through, they want to dig in with you. They want to pray with you. They want to be able to speak in, in, into your life. So we'll just hang out here. But I want to dismiss you here. And if this is, if you're new around here, and, and uh, even all of this may be really new for you, but if you would like to come to our five-minute welcome party, we'll start that in five minutes from right now. And we just simply do it for five minutes. It'll be in the second hallway over. Um, we have some refreshments there for you. I just want to personally invite you to that. Also, don't forget all the group leaders are out there hanging out. If you want to look at all the groups, look at the group leaders in the face, ask them questions. Um, let me say it again. Please don't go through the spring and this winter without, by doing it yourself. Connect some way. Be a part of a group. I want to personally invite you to be a part of Catalyst if you've never done that. If you've never done Financial Peace University, I want to specifically ask you to do that. Those are two things I feel like every single one of us need to do. And so if you haven't done one of those, just jump into it here this semester. All right? Let me just speak a blessing over you and I'll release you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.